0: like to let the music play us in gonna I'm gonna change it at some point no. I don't know that it's I don't know that this is our vibe
1: for f- for how many ever weeks we've been doing this every time it takes me back to uh, Nintendo 64 Donkey Kong Country no Super Nintendo and it mm-hmm. sounds like the background music for one of the levels Seriously? and every single time mm. every single time I'm in Donkey Kong Country
0: well you've just sold it next week is either we're either getting Sonic the Hedgehog music <laughs> or Mario <laughs>
2: go dun, for dun, it yep
0: yeah. Anyway, hi, my name is Keith. I am a pastor at Stonebridge Church, southwest side of Cedar Rapids. This is the In Context podcast. If you're wondering what it's about, we're trying to keep all of our discussions in biblical context. Um, And we do this a a variety of ways. Um, We uh, will either talk through a specific passage of Scripture and make sure it's in context with other passages in Scripture... Or, as we're doing right now, we're going to talk about current issues and put those in context of uh, what mm-hmm. does biblical truth have to say in terms of weighing in on these things. Uh, I'm going to introduce, well, I'm going to let my friends introduce themselves. Uh, this series we've been in the round here, um, uh, discussing this as uh, as pastors, and just so we can get uh, multiple perspectives on this and kind of dialogue with one another. So you guys, I don't care where you start from. I'm going to start right here.
3: Right here. Oh, right man, here.
1: There's so many introductions here. There offers. are offers. I'll go. go. Josh go. Casey.
2: I just talked over you. You better say your name. Josh again. Casey. That's good. And Brandon Levering. Josh Casey.
3: <laughs>
2: Steve Duffy. And actually, that Josh Casey
3: sounds like you. Pre, your pre-recorded voicemail. That's exactly what it Josh is. Josh Casey uh-huh. is no longer. It sounds
0: like one. I have one of those buttons for the <laughs> podcast where I just <laughs> push it.
3: Josh, Casey. There it
0: is. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, this week, uh, just as a reminder, if you're listening to the podcast, we are in a series um, called Strangers and Exiles. Um, By the grace of God, Brandon's handling all these (laughs) sermons so that we don't have to make him do damage control. Um, that's, That's a good... Imagine him letting me do two of these things. (laughs) <laughs> or, or any of us I mean I just, just pop the popcorn before, yeah, On Sunday morning yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> like, It's not me, it's that guy, you got a problem, go to him uh, But uh, I, I think it's good, it's good for us to discuss these things We tried last week uh, To record And my Mac uh, angrily ate the recording uh, As Happens periodically But it does. less with Mac Than it does with mm-hmm. PCs
2: just, You don't have to be insecure about it it's I okay. do, I have to go there <laughs>
0: But if you're a Mac <laughs> person, you have to constantly tell people how much better Mac is uh-huh. than anything else. But, My uh, Mac but is better than yours. <laughs> you, yeah, I had to. probably. You told me to. <laughs> um, so this week we are going to, uh, we're going to kind of double dip here a little bit f- last week, uh, which was expressive individualism, which we may need to define. Mm-hmm. But then we're also going to, we'll, so we, we'll briefly touch on that, but we're also mm-hmm. going to talk about uh, this week's sermon, which was the gospel and homosexuality. So... Um, uh, Brandon, you want to give us kind of, uh, I, I think you gave a working definition in the sermon of what expressive individualism yeah. is, so you want to just start yeah. us there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it is a big word, and, and um, yet as, as unfamiliar as the term is, the concept is, again, its it's just kind of the cultural air we breathe, so... The idea that um, to find fulfillment and meaning in life, we have to look inside and and discover our deepest desires and then define ourselves according to that, display that to the world. And so, you know, follow your heart, be true to yourself, you do you. All of these various cultural mantras are all kind of ways of capturing the ideas of expressive individualism, that you are your own and you belong to yourself, the, the myth of the sovereign self or self-ownership, and, um, and you're not going to be happy or be your true you until you take control and look inside, and, and then, you know, but at the same time, even though it's, it's kind of the sovereign individualism, it also requires community affirmation, mm-hmm. and so I have to, can't just find myself, I have to display or express myself, hence the expressive part of the individualism. And, uh, and so, you know, we kind of looked at that in light of um, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, in contrast to, and uh, Alan Noble's book, You Are Not Your Own, just does such a wonderful job of unpacking this whole uh, cultural phenomenon. Uh, but the myth of, you know, self-ownership, that I am my own and I belong to myself, therefore I get to define myself, I get to uh, be in charge of what is true and what is right and good for me. And display that. In contrast, Paul says, you are not your own. Mm -hmm. You were bought with a price. You know, we were made by God. We belong to God. We've been redeemed by God. And so, how does the gospel kind of counter or speak to and actually provide the fulfillment and satisfaction that expressive expressive individualism promises? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it promises, but it can't deliver on. And so, um, understanding ourselves relative to the God who made us and and our Savior who redeemed us—that is the way forward for joy and contentment. And
0: is it yeah. is it weird that with expressive individualism, um, that it also though lends itself to identity politics? So, oh, like big with time. with the individualism aspect, the the funny thing is that you're you're not really considered to be purely that individual unless you align yourself with other individuals who share that same yeah type it, of identity which you know even the whole as as the lgbt has added letters mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. colors to the flag like mm-hmm. what was much smaller at one point is now much bigger
2: and you can fall in a number of categories which and invent yeah. a new one Correct, if yeah. none of those categories work for you right. and and so yeah it's just kind of a, but but you're right it's this it's this tension between only being true to myself And and blocking out, cutting off any negative voices that don't affirm or or accept or or celebrate me. And yet, I'm so deeply dependent on people to affirm and accept me that I end up, all of these things that I look inside and find my unique me, I'm actually almost identical to the circle that I run in in order to find the affirmation Mm -hmm. that I need. And it's just this really, I mean, when you step back far enough, it's really sad it's really like the the pain and brokenness that moves somebody to constantly be uh, digging deeper inside, redefining themselves when when this identity I've created runs out of steam or no longer feels authentic and I have to go through the whole process again. It's really sad just the amount of energy and emotion expended trying to and, and the crushing weight of expectation because it's not just that I can define myself. I have to. Mm-hmm. That's how the world works, right? right. And and so uh, the pressure that young people feel and, and that, that's only amplified by social media and, and uh, where you've got a constant, you know, you can broadcast your entire life 24-7 if you want to today. And so the pressure to always be displaying something about myself, to curate my image, mm. all of that kind of stuff. It is just a crushing weight. Hmm. Do you think, well, in what ways do we
0: think, like, um, does the church actually f- not help or feed into mm. this? Because that's what I've been pondering, like, even since we took our first crack at it <laughs> last week. Like,
3: what,
0: I, I feel like we complain about it a lot. Like, the church complains about this a lot, but are there ways in which we actually feed into it that looks more noble mm. in terms of like how do mm. how do we how are we do we asking people ba- to identify their mm. themselves like and, and do we lean into some of the what we like what are worldly categories but they're just nicer looking worldly categories?
1: I think the there's a difference between uh, pride because I think we could easily say oh this all falls on pride which I mean sure but that that pride maybe is is kind of a, a, a private disposition, you know, that, that that's kind of an internal thing that motivates things. It seems like this expressive individualism is what you're saying is it requires society. It's, it's this expressed thing. And so to me, when it's this expressed thing, it comes into our community, you know, our church community in the form of competing identity, mm-hmm. you know, and so identity is there. So then how we project Um, I'm this kind of fill-in-the-blank, whatever your role is, I'm this kind of dad or this kind of pastor or this kind of church leader or Christian, and and we can see just little nuances here or there could be okay if it was covered in love, but when we get expressive individualism, it seems like those small nuances of the way that we practice our faith, those can be competing to one another. Mm You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a homeschool family, and you're evil for not being. You know, like we can get into that. It's like I'm not quite sure that's is just the way I'm doing, and so our lifestyle of how we apply the gospel can become the litmus test for mm. how we assess other people. I feel like that's a, a small way to do that. I'm this kind of fill in the blank happens in the church all the time.
3: Mm. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, just a thought. You know, with that is your question, Keith, about how does the church contribute, maybe maybe it's not uh, what we, part of it, maybe what we contribute, but what we don't contribute to the conversation sometimes is uh, bringing clarity to all these places in the world that we um, desire to step into, probably, you know, even with right intention, such as social media, such as whatever, fill in the blank politics, all the, all the topics that we talked about, we want to enter into those conversations or those places, but um, not being clear about uh, uh, about the distinctions. So distinctions come in language. They come in, and again, I think I've mentioned this before, but we tend to adopt language from the culture, not understanding fully maybe how the culture is defining it and maybe mm-hmm. what we intend to use mm-hmm. or what we intend it to be. So that gets very confusing. Um, maybe other things like, uh, just as an example with social media, um, Another distinction we may not clarify is uh, you know what what is sort of holy and what's not and how do we and, and that includes our identity it includes um, a lot of times we focus on how do we behave in that space but we don't maybe maybe not enough about the underlying things our identity, our motivations, um, constant checks in with what is it doing in and how, through us how many likes did I get? Yeah yeah, yeah. and you know so the the idea of I don't, so just maybe not enough testing in that space. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't contribute enough of a voice to say, um, brothers and sisters, this is what it looks like to step into this Mm -hmm. part of the world and navigate it in a way that stays faithful to who you are in Christ and faithful to the call to impact others in that place for Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, Rather, we just step into it. Mm -hmm. And and I think by doing that, it's basically like, you you know, maybe it's like, uh, stand in front of a tsunami. I mean, really, it has that effect on us that we don't realize it. Uh, is it in terms doing? of to us, not yeah, just what are we doing. With exactly, it? yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, And I'm not saying that's uh, that's a generalization. It just, that's my perception of, especially with young people and others maybe immature, more or less mature in the faith, being overcome and looking like all the rest of the world when you observe them in these places well, and in these conversations.
0: There's only yeah. two major, so like, you know, even as you said, in Christ, There are issues of primary identity and secondary identity, right? Even in biblical categories. Because there's only, like, you brought up Corinthians. So in Corinthians 5, one of the things that I think we miss is what Paul draws between. There are really two groups of people. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. By no means referring to this world's immoral people, or to the greedy and swindlers, or to idolaters. Otherwise, you'd (laughs) have to leave the world. (laughs) But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother who is sexually immor- immoral or greedy or idolater, or reviler or drunkard or, or swindler, don't eat with such a person. Paul draws the distinctions between those who are in Christ and those mm-hmm. who are not. And those who are in Christ have completely different, it's not that there's a different standard, but there's a different application to yeah. living the standard than there would be to someone who says, well, I'm not in Christ. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. these ideas, there's only real two main identity categories, if we're honest. But like even like to, to Steve's point, either from a cultural standpoint or even in churches trying to attach primary identity even to our kids is like well you are a wonderful athlete or you are mm-hmm. an mm-hmm. excellent musician and and then we like we d- divide categories up and actually put them in categories that mm-hmm. the bible
2: doesn't give yeah. us in terms of primary yeah. those and are just secondary identities yeah exactly just, and which you know as a secondary <laughs> thing is not intrinsically bad right, right. but we it's it's that Putting more weight on it than it deserves, and 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 I mean that when the whole world spends all of its energy telling you that you need to put yourself first, and you ne- you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a hard message to combat against. Like right, sure. the world says you you're first. Jesus says deny yourself, right. take up your cross, and follow me. Right. And and so much even I mean when you consider just you know church conflict right. Um, or well, we talked briefly yesterday in the episode that wasn't, or last week in the episode that wasn't, uh, oh, the like worship the title, <laughs> the episode <yeah>. that wasn't, <laughs> the worship wars of the last few decades. In a lot of ways, that's a symptom of expressive individualism. Yeah. Uh, when you take something yeah. secondary like instrumental preference, yeah. Or, um, but this is you know, and and it on the one hand it makes sense because worship is such an intimate experience like i am expressing myself to the lord to you know my love for him my my delight my devotion Mm -hmm. and here is the kind of music and environment and lighting and volume that helps me do that best and you all should do the same thing because this is how i connect Mm -hmm. to god Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's a that's expressive individualism having seeped into this you know, hyper individualistic understanding of worship versus a collective gathered congregational where a family coming together to make much of God, which means all of us are dying to ourselves in this moment. Yeah. I would not have chosen that instrument. I would not yeah. have chosen that song, da da da. But I'm going to die to myself because we're here together as a family to put our emphasis on Christ yeah. and not me. Yeah. And so, again, there the gospel reorients us out of that expressive individualistic mindset, and um, but it and it shows itself in our hearts. You know, uh, and you, you know, there's just so many ways that we have been influenced. And to that point, uh, while the term and concept expressive individualism is new, none of this is new, no, right? At all. Yeah, I mean, self, the the myth of the sovereign self. Is exactly the fall of humanity. Yeah. I would like to be able to decide what is right and what is wrong. Thank yeah. you very much. I think yeah. I'll do a better job than you, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and and so just kind of, so it's not new, even though it, it it this particular cultural moment has unique aspects about it.
0: Yeah, and it's a. I think we said you know I I mentioned last week too. It's not just a human invention thing. It's a. Yeah. it's It started yeah. with Satan. right? Yeah. Because the first the first fall was really. I will ascend to to your throne. I will have your, you know, I'm going to take your glory. Uh, That Isaiah concept of uh, kind of the trying to usurp the throne of God and then trying to encourage this new creation of God's to do the same. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. uh, And I think we as a church can take this expressive individualism individually. You know, like that's kind of what we're talking about a lot here just now. But then we can take that also corporately when we have our brand. Mm. This is the kind of thing you're coming to. You know, and there's a, there's a point where that's really helpful and clear so that people come to a thing and that's good. But when you're the church that has this swagger or you're the church that has that kind of experience or and you've got to protect that thing, you know, or you're, I, I, you know, whatever. There's a whole list of stuff um, that becomes pretty uh, a, a corporate expressive individualism, which is troubling. I mean, you see that all through the, the last whatever, two, three years. Churches mm-hmm. saying like this is our thing, beyond you know it's our secondary mm-hmm. identity, but we're going to take a stance on this. We are the church of this mm-hmm. social political you know mm-hmm. category. You know? Mm-hmm. that's troubling.
2: Yeah. So you know, in terms of transitioning to this last Sunday's topic, how right. does expressive individualism feed directly into something like homosexuality? Well.
0: You're chiefly categorized by your desires, and specifically your your sexual desires, mm-hmm. your attractive desires, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's how that's the primary way in which the identity is couched, which is r- unfortunate, right? Yeah. The the now, honestly, I could say things. I would be better to point people to anything that Christopher Yuan has said <laughs> or written. Um, You know, Chris Yuan, if you don't know, if you're listening, you don't know his story. It's amazing. Um, uh, It's heartbreaking, but also encouraging at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just a testimony of the beauty of the gospel in the darkest of situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was here a few years ago. Um, Well, he's been here twice Mm -hmm. and once was talking to a bunch of students. And one of the things he even got into was, um, you know, look, it's not like... uh, you know, heterosexual relationships in marriage are not like the glory of God. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, you're finding your identity in Christ mm-hmm. and about being holy. It's not, it's not like, um, or Emily Thomes who was, had a similar situation said a few years ago when asked the question, you know, well, what do we do with our homosexual friends? And she said, do you know, do you have any friends who are sleeping with their boyfriends who aren't married? How do you treat them? You know, mm-hmm. that, that to define somebody by their sexual activity alone mm-hmm. as their identity is, uh, is not helpful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's good.
1: I think the, the transition um, from expressive individualism to homosexuality, I think Carl Truman lays out really well in his, he's got a couple of books, uh, one of them I'm going to read here in my hand is uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And then he has a shorter one that's more digestible. Um, it's called, was it Our Strange New World? I think is what it's called. The, uh, and his general thesis that he goes through in this big old book is, um, is that the, the person became a self through a certain point, this psychology, the inner world became a thing. The, the person became a self, then that self became sexual and identified with the sexuality of, of their, and then that sexuality or sex became political. So we get to this point where we're in a troubling spot where we didn't just invent this thing; it was it, it evolved over, mm-hmm. you know, decades. And um, so we move from a person who is under God to now a person who is defined internally. Now that person is sexual. Now that sex is or sexual activity is a political issue to the point that now we're talking about homosexuality as a civil right. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is really tricky now. Mm -hmm. How did Mm -hmm. we get here? And that's not what I read in the Bible. And so Christians who are, you know, in the Bible, you know, really wrestling through a lot of this have just a huge chasm where like, I'm not quite sure that that's a civil right. And that makes us, it makes it a very hard conversation to have. We're almost kind of lost in it when
3: it's a civil right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this and this this question about how does how does it feed into the homosexuality talk We'll talk talk about this next week too. But just again, the how feelings are trump everything. They're 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 primary, mm-hmm. and so um, and so that implies they're subjective, and uh, it makes it extremely difficult then to have a conversation uh, about. even negating feelings Mm. again because they're subjective and they're individual. so this this topic fits well into the expressive individual because of that discovery piece is subjective and it's based on on feelings And, and the danger
2: of attaching something so subjective and and fluctuating to the essence of who i am to my core identity and and uh just the challenge that that creates because if, if I am what I want, that's kind of where my desires define me, right? So the, the, the sovereign self, how do I figure out who I am? Well, what do you want? What does your heart want most? Well, and if, I, and if what I want is intrinsically sexual in some way, which is what Freud tried to convince us all of, right? Um, and if happiness is tied up in sexual fulfillment to deny somebody's sexual their ability to be sexually fulfilled is to deny their personhood their humanity to make them this is the logic that uh, has gotten to the place where now sex is political and and people must be made to be okay with prohibit facilitate encourage celebrate any sort of sexual desires that anyone might have lest you deny them their humanity mm-hmm. you know we we, t- we took s- sex and made it central to our human identity and and we are living with the consequences of that in public policy and relationships and all of these kinds of things and it is it's a hornet's nest um you know so you know to untangle that from the perspective of the gospel how how does the good news of jesus help tell a better story or augment some of those assumptions that we just kind of take at face value in society, but aren't actually true or healthy, you know, um, how, how does the good news of Jesus help us navigate that?
0: Well, I, I want to interject. Sure. I hope this is not a hornet's nest interjection. <laughs> I, I do think sometimes, sometimes in our hesitancy as Christians, we, uh, we want to, we always want to run to the gospel. But I do think it, it's important for us to acknowledge the distinction of what good sex is in mm, scripture yeah. as well, that, that we should not just simply be like, because sometimes it does feel like we treat, uh, we kind of set aside a definition of healthy biblical sexuality mm. and just say it's not really important. It
2: is important. Absolutely. Because
0: even in, if we're going through, you know, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about healthy sexuality within the context of a man and a woman in pleasing one another, mm-hmm. not in pleasing yourself. And the main disconnect, even with young Christians, if you would poll, I think they've even polled in many polls, like the sexual activity of young people, you know, in their 20s or something who consider themselves Christians, most don't think it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. And and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem because yeah. what that shows you is they're not, they're not looking at sex as something that primarily is a creation mandate issue, mm-hmm. right? Be fruitful and multiply. And secondary is about like not being tempted by Satan and fulfilling that, God-given, you know, desire and need in pleasing one another—a man pleasing his wife, a wife pleasing her husband. Look, the Song and so- Song of Solomon mm-hmm. for a great example mm-hmm. of what that looks like. But, but I feel like as Christians, we are often too quick in this debate to completely set set aside healthy sex for fear mm-hmm. that we will be cast as like. Uh, homophobic mm. because we're championing championing a heterosexual ethic yeah i never want to be afraid to say like heterosexuality is designed by god mm-hmm. it's not like better than the relationship with jesus it does not it in and of itself um uh constitute uh godliness because even paul's like look I wish you guys were as holy as me and didn't have to have sex at all. right? It's basically what he says, like i'm I'm varsity. you guys are all j v. If you need to get married, get married losers. but uh, but we could all be spreading the gospel if nobody was having sex, but since you guys, or a bunch of weird horn dogs. I guess you just have to. I guess you have to go with what God's given you.
1: Man, what, you know? what
3: commentary are you reading? <laughs> just, uh, I, mean, uh, I think oh. it's Spurgeon. Oh, is it? Okay,
1: that's the really amplified version. But and, and but I know, you know that might. Sound, right. If you're no, listening to this, that
0: might sound a little a little harsh or a little rough. But but I I think that we 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 do shoot ourselves in the foot yeah. when we completely set aside a discussion yeah. on actual sexuality and yeah. what it's designed to be for in an effort to make somebody else. To, to take the edge off of it. There should be an edge on it, but we have to get to going past that and saying, like, that is not primary, that is secondary, as evidenced by Paul. But mm-hmm. to to disregard yeah. a healthy sexuality is
2: not helpful when we have this absolutely. conversation. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, upholding the creational design right. is absolutely. and And next week, when we get into the gospel and gender, that's actually the... You know the, the gospel categories I've been using for most of this series have been kind of you know the two guardrails in this sinful grace is sufficient. I'm going to pivot to creation, fall, redemption, new creation for this final conversation because that really you know ex- everything you just said. If we don't understand the actual creational design and how it's fallen and broken and how Christ redeems it and restores us. To what we were made for, like right. that—that's a whole other angle that the gospel, I think, gives us that insight to be able to help think through it and and help others uh, think through these kinds of issues. so I think that's a critical comment. Yeah. yeah. So how how else does it help us? You know, I use the guardrails um, category uh, this last Sunday. You know, sin is sinful; grace is sufficient. Um, what? Uh, how should we expect to have more fruitful conversations because we have the truth of the gospel here, you know, in, in this issue?
1: Yeah, I think the, um, I'd, I'd read an article here from, I think it came from, oh, well, it was by Brian Rosner. It came from a book that he's written called How to Find Yourself. Hmm. And it linked together this idea of identity and love. And we've talked about that a little bit. You know, even today, and I think getting to your point of how does it change our conversation, it first sets us in our primary identity. Uh, what is it? Second Corinthians five seventeen, and uh, if anyone is in Christ, mm-hmm. he is a new creation. creation. I mean, that's that's a really great thing. But he does this. Uh, this Brian he he goes into this and unpacks like, what does it mean to be in Christ? How is that a primary identity? And there's a whole bunch that we can go into that. But basically, he. He, he says that there is, um, to be in Christ starts a new voyage of discovery. Like you are, your identity is completely different than what it was before. Everything else is secondary. And that puts you in a place, then he drops it into, that puts you in a place where, um, what does he say? The signature move that grows out of that identity is an act of love. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's so helpful. You have to drop it that you are in Christ, that is your identity, and the move from there is love. And I think that gets us to this spot where uh, how does it change our conversations? If I really am in Christ, if I really understand that to be my identity, then anything that offends me or is a personal attack on me is either I'm defending Christ, who is my primary identity, or it's my secondary identity, and that can go to the wayside. You know, and I, I can reason through some of the stuff a little bit better that way. And love can be really the first step forward, the first response, as it should be. It isn't always in my heart, but it should be.
3: Yeah, I mean, and Josh, you kind of took it where <laughs> I was thinking too. Is that uh, a lot of maybe maybe our bent in having conversations uh, on this topic uh, stays on the on the horizontal, and so we even our arguments, yeah. such as biology, uh, other things, tend to stay in that place. Or implications of the of the homosexual relationships, but uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the vertical that has to be dealt with, and that's where the identity comes from. And uh, so, even even though in our culture it becomes increasingly difficult to have conversations on the vertical plane on homosexuality, because now it's a quote unquote right, uh, this that just ups the the challenge and the intensity in this in this area that we're dealing with. We can't ever we always have to go back to the the vertical relationship until that is established and and uh, somebody be, gets the point of being in christ none of the other things that we're saying are going to make a whole lot of sense um so for the unbelieving community that's where we go even for the believing community to sway people to have a right understanding of the scripture to even what keith said on what is right what is good and right sexual Like, okay, what does a healthy relationship look like um uh, what does holy sexuality look like? All that, uh, we have to sway people by who they are in Christ first, work from that always, uh, in order to now branch out and have these other conversations, which mm. tend to be, really fall into place, as Josh said. So, part, for, part of the
0: detriment of expressive individuality, you know, the indi- individualism is the, that whole you can't deny me anything. Mm. But nothing can be farther from the gospel than you can't deny me anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's constantly this idea that, like, even in this, um, as as we're talking, you know, to the point about the vertical, if we're talking about the being honest with people in conversations of saying, like, if you think that I don't have to deny myself certain desires simply because you know that have that are outside the realm of sexuality, you're kidding yourself. Mm-hmm. I have to deny myself all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just part of not. That's part of general life, like. Mm-hmm. But even more so as a Christian, it's not just denying yourself the things. It's denying yourself the obsession over the things yeah. because the, the sin is, the, is rooted in the heart. And so, like, to, to help some, some of the ways in which we feed into that is even in our conversations on things like homosexuality, we don't ultimately get to the root of saying, like, look like we all have a problem the problem is we we are terrible at denying ourselves for the sake of the goodness of uh, the, the beauty of of who god is and the good the good of the people around us like we're really great at like saying like don't deny me what i deserve but that's anti gospel mm-hmm. so being being rooted in the gospel and ha- so these conversations ultimately need to come to even back to what you said this weekend which is which uh, talking about the misconceptions about uh, the biblical approach to homosexuality and what was said and stuff. But all of those things are ultimately rooted in, even you go back to Leviticus and all the Levitical laws, they're rooted in faithfulness to God, even at the, you know, in denying yourself things that you could do, which Paul gets to as well. Like Mm -hmm. everything is permissible. Mm -hmm. Not everything is beneficial. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. so there's that um, sense in which our conversations really do need to become, um, even with sexuality, like, we're, it's not like we're just asking people who struggle with homosexuality to deny their desires. And we're saying. That, right, and everybody easy. else is off the hook. You, yeah. Everybody else gets what they want, but you guys, you don't really get the center, or the core of your being. Like the call of Christianity is if any man would follow me, he must deny himself. Mm-hmm. Like nobody follows Jesus without denying themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think that's where the conversation should probably always start is before we get into your sexuality, mm-hmm. let me just say as a Christian, the call to follow Christ is to deny yourself, period. Yeah. Not just deny part of yourself, but to deny yourself yeah. and
3: follow yeah. me. And, and as, a, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, that's, I think, that was one of the appeals from Christopher Ewan that I remember is him, you know, like, why do we start with that as the conversation? Sexuality, why don't we start with holiness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which is mm-hmm. which is great. So it that way it generalizes or broadens it for everybody to... Yeah
2: participate in that conversation it it levels the gospel levels the playing field right none of us measure up Mm -hmm. we all fall short we're all in need of a savior and christ is available to all and uh, i need him just as much as the next person to grow in holiness to pursue him um and uh that that's i think one of the most helpful things is that um to, the gospel removes the us versus them dynamic that we tend to approach this conversation from and and puts us on okay I'm, I'm I am ministering to fellow sinners in need of grace um, and uh, yeah that's that's our hope that's what we've got and it's a hope that is going to be far more satisfying than trying to change the script on God yeah. and, and up, you know upgrade to what we think, how we think the world should run. That's just always going to end tragically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, we'll see that a, a, as well as we consider um, the transgender movement next week. And so
0: just, to, you know, there are probably a couple implications that uh, I, I think we can get into next week in, in the, the whole of the discussion. But I think, like, where I, where I tend to get tripped up on, on this thing is First of all, the distinction between the world and the, the church, which Paul makes, right? Like, how do we how do we approach that distinction between the world and the church? Like, you're not to judge uh, those outside the church, but you are. So now, within the church, in in uh, many spheres, there is an acceptance of mm. mm-hmm. like this is who they are, and to baptize it, you know, kind of with um, uh, uh, you know, some books that have come out, um, and. Uh, some ideas about like almost trying to make homosexuality holy. Yeah. Oh, as, I as mean, part of it, which you you address. Yeah. But I think that's where the biggest fight's not necessarily like we understand that people who don't have Jesus are going to struggle with that. the The issue for us now as Christians is how do we deal with other even churches in our own area mm-hmm. who are more than happy to yeah. baptize that and say like, hey, we believe this is a yeah. beautiful thing. And
2: and you've got two different motivations. Like there are some churches. Uh, you think of uh, some of your kind of typical mainline Protestant. Right. Well, they gave up caring what Scripture means a long time ago. <laughs> right. Like, it's not driven by, oh, yeah. In fact, your your more honest ones will say, no, the Bible absolutely forbids us. We just think it's wrong. Right. You know, so right. there's that category. What you're talking about is those who would, uh, in the name of evangelical convictions, try to make a case that actually we've been wrong all along. Yeah, the Bible right. doesn't prohibit anything like this. And, and, and there are, you know, there's some excellent resources on that. I, I alluded to Kevin DeYoung's book. Uh, if you want an even deeper, uh, Robert you know, book yeah, Gagnon's great. book is, is in, <laughs> in many ways, still the scholarship standard. Um, it's a hard read. So if you think you're going to go read that one, just Buckle up yeah because it's pretty and Yale University <laughs> Press like this yeah. is no, nothing to blush at yeah. and um, and there, there's other other helpful volumes out there sure um, and, and I think we have to take that conversation seriously because yeah. he, here's the deal I have I know plenty of people who once upon a time held a biblical standard for sure. sexuality and now no longer believe that homosexual sex is wrong right. I don't know anyone who got there by reading the Bible. Agreed. They went there because they, well, they know chop, somebody. They might chop the Bible
0: up too. Well, to yeah, there, yeah, but
2: it's like they 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 <clears throat> moved, they made that move either because they know somebody right. or love somebody who came out as gay, right. or they're sympathetic to harm that a gay person experienced yeah. from, you know. It was something that happened in in a relationship that caused them to go back and then relook at the bible and it's not to say we don't we all have cultural blinders but there's a there's a saying in in new england uh when because the roads are so crazy and whatever that you know if you're you're in this little village in maine trying to get somewhere else that you know well you can't get there from here (laughs) Uh, and and when we're in Scripture looking for a way to justify homosexual sex, yeah. you can't get there from here. Yeah, like there. You have to go somewhere else, yeah. and then we read that back in. And this sounds harsh, but there is no honest way to read the Scriptures faithfully right. and make that conclusion right. that this is okay. Yeah. And and again, that sounds really harsh and judgmental. It's just simple exegesis. Right. Like it really... Uh, and, and all of the different, uh, hermeneutical gymnastics people might try and do, um, they're just, they're not faithful to the text. And, and again, that shouldn't be controversial, because I believe everybody actually knows that's the case, even when they're making it, um, but all of that to say, we had, this is, and will continue to be somewhat of a battleground for evangelical churches, um, it it doesn't mean we get all angsty and 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 nervous and combative and whatever, but we have to hold the line, and right. we have to do so with with integrity and compassion, and and that's where I think again, keeping the focus on the gospel yeah. helps us have that conversation in ways that are are less yelling into the ether and more let's pursue Jesus, yeah. and and um, if Jesus you know, the Great Commission, uh, if part of making disciples is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, that's part of it. then this is an issue we're going to have to get to yep. at some point. Yep. And because he has commanded, Matthew 19, um, that marriage is for a man and a woman. Sex is for marriage and marriage is for a man and a woman. Yep. And he upholds that no matter how many cultural and hermeneutical gymnastics we might try. Yep. And so... That was a bit of a rant. Sorry.
0: It's a, I mean, it's it's true, and we, you know, there may be a day in which it, it actually has some <laughs> suffering attached to it if we hold the line on that. Yeah. But oh, we have yeah. to be we have to be prepared you know, in all in all things. Like even with the the tone of our podcast and what we're going for, like we have to remain
2: faithful to what God has told us is true, mm-hmm. or else we have no integrity. And and we and here's the thing, it's actually unloving. To not hold this line—that's right. that's the thing. Because right. the whole, you know, if you right. love them, you're going to affirm. You know, love has to be has to operate from a place of truth. Yeah. You know, there is, is if it's not actually good for somebody, it's not loving to cheer them on, permit it, whatever, and so on. Um, and so we're fooling ourselves to think that um, any sort of flourishing can happen yes. right. uh, when we exit God's design. on these areas and so love is actually calling them back there's something better and and um and his name is jesus right and that that's that's what we have to offer
0: yeah we're gonna dive in next week a little bit deeper it's gonna be different because it's a little bit of a different it's a more uh it's a newer Mm -hmm. adaptation of all these things Yep. so uh and, and one of these weeks I think um, you know we I'm, we're not gonna I'm not gonna jump into this topic right now because it would take a long time but uh, even th- such things like the implications of like uh, how do we approach not just uh, within the evangelical church but as we interact with different circles of society, businesses, schools and mm. such like if everybody else is holding an ethic that is opposed to a Christian ethic then then you know um, how then shall we live? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So we'll, we'll get there in time, but, uh, thanks brothers. Yeah. Thank um, you. One of us was translated to heaven during the podcast. So <laughs> hope it's going Josh. well, Josh prayers up to you. Buddy. Yeah,
3: He was here and now he's no more. <laughs>
0: he Elijah us. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, peace out brother. Um, we, uh, we will be back next week to talk a little bit more about this. Um, I will include uh, some of the references, the book to the books that uh, were mentioned in the podcast. I'll, I'll include those in the show notes, just so if you want to uh, check those out, that'd be great. Um, but if you have any any questions, anything pursuant to what we've discussed today, uh, man, what a broad topic this is, and how many how many conversations can you have. But in all things, remember, uh, if you're listening and you're a Christian, uh, be faithful to God's word. Um, and, uh, and hold the line on the gospel. Uh, do not, uh, do not give up ground in the gospel just because uh, you, you like somebody or feel bad for somebody. Um, uh, the most loving thing that you can do is point them to Jesus. And so let's do that faithfully. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon.